Hello, this is Mary Silito with Every School Kid Matters, especially yours. I'll be giving you more details and answering some of your questions in today's podcast, The Whatabouts of Competency-Based Learning and Promotion, CBLP, this new public education system I'm talking about. Well, first of all, how does it work? In retrospect, one of my first experiences with competency-based learning was before it was named that, and it was around 2009. A parent, Mrs. Brown, came to see me when I was the principal at Michael Callahan Middle School in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was there from 2008 to 2012. Mrs. Brown was frustrated with her daughter's boredom in her fifth grade elementary classroom, and she described their daily battles about going to school. Her daughter, Elizabeth, just wanted to stay home and read and do harder math and science experiments. Mrs. Brown felt from her older daughter's experience that sixth grade in middle school would be largely a review of fifth grade learning standards while the teachers tried to catch all the students up. She wanted to know if her daughter could skip sixth grade and go right on to seventh grade. Wow. After talking with Elizabeth and looking at her high standardized test scores, I decided to let her take the end of the year comprehensive exams in sixth grade. After all, what could it hurt? Mrs. Brown, Elizabeth, and I agreed that if she passed the semester tests in math, English, and science with 80% or more correct answers on each test, she could skip sixth grade and enroll in seventh grade. Elizabeth came to the school during the week after school was out for the summer to take the tests. And she did it. Elizabeth demonstrated competency on the sixth grade learning standards with well over 80% of the correct answers on those tests, and so we promoted her to the seventh grade. She thrived in her seventh and eighth grade classes. Several years later, I received an email from Mrs. Brown. She thanked me for being willing to think out of the box and let me know that Elizabeth and her sister went on to excel throughout their public school years and both earned college scholarships. Switching up the system and providing competency-based learning and promotion opportunities for all students is well worth the work it will take to get it started. With such personalized learning opportunities, students will move on to the next group of standards in each subject when they understand and demonstrate mastery in their current set of standards. No more marking time once they have it, and no more being pushed on just because the time is up, even if they don't get it. Each public school course in every grade level already has a clear set of standards or requirements for what kids have to know and be able to do in order to master the required learning and then move on. You might be wondering just what exactly is a learning standard. An example of a Nevada sixth grade learning standard for math is this, quote, find the area of right triangles, other triangles, special quadrilaterals, and polygons by composing into rectangles or decomposing into triangles and other shapes 
and apply these techniques in the context of solving real-world and mathematical problems. Yeah. Teachers are expected to translate these standards and provide instruction and practice for every standard in the course they're teaching. For example, Nevada has a total of 47 learning standards for 6th grade math, I just read you one of them, to be mastered in 36 weeks of school, which isn't really 36 whole weeks of school, and most other states are the same. My math teachers were always concerned and stressed about trying to teach all of the math standards before the end of the school year, and even more stressed about the state standardized test, which occurred several weeks before the end of the year. National tests for 8th graders occur even earlier in the school year. While some students can easily master 47 different math standards in 36 weeks, many just cannot do it without extra tutoring at least, especially if they have not yet mastered the standards in the first through the fifth grades and so that they're ready for the sixth grade standards. Think about that. No wonder kids get frustrated. With competency-based learning and promotion, our kids will know exactly what they're supposed to learn and how to demonstrate that they've learned it, and they will be given enough time to do it. Students will then move on to the next learning after they've demonstrated their learning at the current level. This is especially critical in math where the skills build upon each other. No more being pushed to the next grade level. This is called social promotion without mastering the current learning levels. And no waiting around for the calendar school year to end once you've got it. Our success in life demands that we have the skills and knowledge to show that we're competent. People rise to the top in the workplace and earn better salaries as they learn and demonstrate more and more competency in their chosen field or career. Consider this, our students will immediately grasp this concept if they've ever played a video game where they level up. Think again about the concentration and focus they demonstrate while analyzing and problem solving to get to the top level in their video game of choice. As a player in that video game, they start with nothing except maybe an empty bag to begin their quest. They explore the game, learn how to use the tools they find and the skills they learn to help them meet the increasingly difficult challenges and level up in the game at their own pace. This is competency-based learning and promotion. By the way, students can track their own progress with competency-based learning and promotion because kids already know why and how to track their progress. Let me explain. Many of our children and our grandchildren have and still do play soccer, thanks to our friend Tony Alotta in Nevada. One skill he taught them in order to improve their abilities in controlling the soccer ball was juggling. Most soccer players are encouraged to practice juggling the ball with their feet, counting how many times they can touch it up in the air and back to themselves without letting the ball hit the ground. Coaches and players set goals and the kids work to reach them, counting their touches and tracking their own progress. 
Now you've probably thinking of lots more examples of the way our kids track their own progress every day. Piano, dance, drawing, running faster, jumping higher, making more foul shots, pitching more strikes. And you see, there's endless ways that all of us actually track our own progress in the things we do. Students should be able to see their current progress in each class every day and be able to work on the areas where they can see that they need to do more and better. At Michael Callahan Middle School in Las Vegas, Nevada, we made a plan to involve the students in tracking their own progress on mastery of the grade level standards in their various classes. We believed that this would help them increase their learning and improve their test scores. This was so important to schools during the No Child Left Behind. Our teachers found or created tests that would measure a student's ability on a certain standard or group of learning standards and created a chart for each student to mark and track their own progress. Teachers chose which standards to track by examining where our students were failing on those standardized tests or on their own classroom tests. We devised a system to reward students for their progress in small but meaningful ways. The students enjoyed showing off those standard tracking forms to me and their other teachers and to their parents. The payoff of having students track their own progress was amazing. Students who charted their successes and set goals to do better were producing improved results on their report cards as well as on the all-important standardized tests. In fact, after the students began tracking their own progress on the required learning standards, Michael Callahan Middle School made Adequate Yearly Progress, AYP, in 2012 for the first time in nine years as evaluated by the No Child Left Behind Act. Congratulations and thank you, teachers. Instead of tracking progress with paper and pencil, like we were doing 10 years ago, our kids will be able to see their areas of success and where they need more work in easily accessible computer applications. It won't be hard. You might be wondering how will the parents know what's going on? Well, the same way. Parents must be able to easily check in and monitor their child's learning. Most schools already have an online computer application that allows parents to see the grades every day. Two-way parent and teacher communication, by the way, is and always has been critical. With competency-based learning and promotion, when students master a teacher's set of subject standards, they will move to the next level in that subject and perhaps they'll have a new teacher. Parents will need to know when this is happening and understand the appropriate pace of leveling up for their child. Here is a very, very important part to understand. Students will not need to reach the same grade level standards in every subject at the same time. So, grade level labels will not necessarily apply. Let me repeat that. All of the kids will not reach the same grade level standards in every subject at the same time, so grade level labels will not necessarily apply. For example, a student might be enrolled in grade level five reading and grade level four math. 
Okay, so what grade will they be in? We won't have to use grade level labels like that. We will just be able to say, okay, you're working on math and you're working on reading and now it's time for you to study science and they're working on whatever level that they need to be working on. I promise it'll be okay. Learning at your own pace is not a new idea. Age differences will occur in the classrooms, but it can really work quite well. My mother began her teaching career in a one-room schoolhouse in rural southeast Nebraska around 1960. She went to a one-room schoolhouse, of course, when she was little. She was born in 1923. She had 25 or so students from kindergarten through eighth grade, all in one room, and all at different stages of learning in various subjects. She had 10-year-olds who were reading with the 14-year-olds, but who were doing math at the same level as the six-year-olds. She said the students were quite motivated to work hard and catch up to their own age group. Her task was to have all of the students ready to pass their eighth grade exams at an appropriate age so they could go on to high school. She loved the challenge of that experience and shared wonderful stories about the struggles and cooperation between students as they worked to reach their learning goals. My amazing mother passed away just over four years ago and I still miss her every day. She would be celebrating her 100th birthday on August 30th. In 2002, I was selected to teach high school English classes at the Peterson Center in Clark County, Nevada. This was a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Model School Secondary Schools project. Funding was provided by them for the school and training for the teachers and for the administration for two years. This school was set up to help the students who were behind in earning high school credits. Remember Karina from my first podcast? My students needed English credits from 9th through 12th grade and were all mixed into the same class periods. I was fortunate in my classroom to have 10 desktop computers, so I set up a blended learning situation where some students worked on the computer and I worked with small groups of students when they needed a guide at the same time and then other students who needed to master a skill through paper and pencil were working at their desk. When I found common areas where many students were lacking in a particular skill, such as how to write an introductory paragraph for an essay, that was common, I conducted many lessons with the whole group. This classroom format was extremely successful, and I share it with you because it's similar to the setup that I expect would be found in a competency-based learning and promotion environment. One detail that will need a plan is that a student might want to move ahead quickly in one subject at the expense of another, so certain checks and balances will need to be in place to help us keep an overall forward steadiness in the student's progress. For example, a child who loves to read could quickly level up in reading while needing more time to master math standards. That would have been me. If this student progresses two or more levels ahead in reading and leaves other subjects behind, the student may need to use the time allotted for reading class to catch up in the other subjects before leveling up any further in reading. That could be motivational. 
Parents and teachers will need to work together and make sure students level up appropriately. Well, one of the first questions one of my daughters asked me is, what if students finish everything too fast? And that is one concern parents may have, is that their child will finish leveling up at too young of an age to be finished with high school. Understandable. But why not allow them to move right on to college-level classes for credit, or even associate degrees, or technology and trade school certification in the same school building? They will still be around their friends and appropriately aged peers. Many school districts already offer concurrent enrollment with colleges or universities, and in some places, students can actually graduate from high school with an associate degree. Taxpayer dollars pay for public education for students all the way through age 18. Many students already arrive at their senior year of high school, needing only to take one or two classes. Some of them add extra electives like band, orchestra, or choir. And some students leave campus after their two classes and go get a job. Some students are probably leaving campus after their one or two classes and goofing off for the rest of the day with their friends. Since taxpayer dollars are already budgeted and allocated for these students to remain in classes on a regular school campus for the whole day, why not use these funds and pay for students to earn college credits or technology or trade certifications before they leave high school? Students, along with their parents, should be able to choose whether to stay in public school and take advantage of these options or to move on. You might be wondering, what about my special needs children? Never fear. I would never forget about them. According to the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, students who are found eligible may continue to have an Individualized Education Program, IEP, and the special education services that come with it until high school graduation or a maximum age of 22. Competency-based learning and promotion will help ensure that special needs children have more opportunities to learn at their own pace, taking more time to learn, and able to avoid embarrassment by the other kids knowing that they're, they're behind. Additionally, several programs and services exist to help students with special needs make the change from student to independence. And then what about clubs and sports and the classes that prepare kids for life? We need well-rounded, competitive schools that will provide all of our children with more educational preparation for life after school. Our kids need courses in economics, government systems, career choices, budgeting, banking, cooking, sewing, and living on your own. Many of these courses have disappeared, but they once were commonplace in schools. At Sylvester Junior High School, a huge classroom sat unused except for staff meetings when I arrived as principal in 2012. The rear of the classroom contained six unused student kitchen work areas that could accommodate 24 students in groups of four with sinks, stoves, ovens, dishwashers, and cupboards containing pots, pans, 
utensils, and dishes. The rest of the classroom contained tables and chairs with countertops along one side, a washer and dryer, an office for the teacher, and storage rooms filled with sewing machines and other items intended for family and consumer science classes. A wonderful teacher who loves kids wanted to teach this class, and we soon had 6th through 8th graders begging to be allowed to sign up. Our special needs children thrived in this hands-on classroom. Parents also expressed their appreciation for the opportunity for their children to learn basic sewing skills, how to cook, budgeting, and all those other important skills. To create competitive schools with the best learning options, we could and should reinstate or add these life preparatory classes to our middle and high school elective curriculum while we're switching to competency-based learning and promotion. When students are learning how to survive as they grow up, they don't say, I'll never need to know this. Instead, they say, I'm so glad I'm learning this. What about music, athletics, art, and all of the other wonderful activities that schools provide? Sports, clubs, band, choir, orchestra, art, and other student activities are critical. And I do mean critical to the success of schools. Students need to find their place to belong, to make friends, and to safely develop their social skills. Many kids, including some of mine, go to school just because of that one part of the day that they love. Music, theater, art, robotics, athletic programs, and numerous other activities and clubs provide multiple benefits for schools and students. Even the local community benefits and often comes together to support the kids. Athletics and other student activities help foster a collective identity and generate pride for the participants and the community members. What about sports eligibility? Well, athletes sometimes keep their grades up just so they're eligible to participate in sports, and and that was also true for more than one of my own children. With students leveling up faster under a CBLP system, Eligibility for sports should not be changed regarding the number of years a student may participate. And grades along with behavior should still count towards eligibility. High school students have four years of eligibility to play in a sport. A student may finish up all of the high school coursework and still have two years of eligibility to play high school soccer. So they might graduate from high school but still have eligibility for their sports that they love. Well, remember, taxpayers are paying for students to attend public schools through the age of 18, and special needs students are funded until they are 22 years old. With college courses or trade school certification courses available, the student should be able to continue with sports, as well as begin earning their credits in higher education or certifications in technology and or trades. Colleges allow this. Colleges allow graduate students who are working on master's degrees to play sports as long as they haven't used up their eligibility. I believe that high schools should and could easily do the same.
Students and parents should have choices in this situation. Once the student has completed the required coursework for a high school diploma. In many states, regular comprehensive high schools are already offering concurrent enrollment in college courses. The idea of high schools offering free college classes or tech and trade school courses is catching on. One of my granddaughters graduated from Nevada State High School, which is a charter school in Henderson, Nevada, with her associate's degree and she went on to college with two years of university general education courses already completed. I know that this change will be worth it. An almost entirely new public education system won't be an easy change, but it will be so worth it. According to an article that I read from the Harvard Business Review, written by Erica Anderson in 2022, quote, When an organizational change is first proposed, most people immediately want to know three things. What does this change mean to me? Why is it happening? And what will it look like when the change has been made? People only begin to be open to accepting, embracing, and making this change when their mindset starts to shift from this change is going to be difficult, costly, and weird, to this change could be easy, rewarding, and normal. The answer to that first question, what does this change mean to me, will be different for every person depending upon their own unique set of circumstances, be that parent, student, teacher, school principal, district or state-level education administrators, or members of the general public. I believe, I know, that all of these people are ready and wanting to fix our failing schools. We've heard that being said for years, but no one ever really says how to do it. Well, here it is. I think competency-based learning and promotion is a concrete solution and a positive change. The answer to the second question, why is it happening, is simple but critical. Our current public school system doesn't work. It's failing our children and something has to change. And the third question, what will it look like when the change has been made? Can be discussed in a general manner. But keep in mind that public education systems operate on a state-by-state basis, and states could decide upon different approaches. But consider the possibilities. I'll give you examples in a future podcast. Switching to competency-based learning and promotion will be worth it. Thanks for listening. All student names in my stories have been changed to protect their privacy. You can find my posts online at marysilito.com and follow me on x at mary underscore silito. Next podcast, I'll give you more details on why we need this change, how we did it at my school, and more student stories. Please listen soon. If you have questions or comments, please email me at mary at marysilito.com. That's m-e-r-r-y at M-E-R-R-Y-S-I-L-L-I-T-O-E dot com.